Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. It's kind of silly because all things fitness, it's something that's like above all else. But for most people, the issue isn't finding the best exercise. No. It's literally just moving your body. People aren't doing that. Like I said, yeah, simplifies and confuses at the same, at the same time. time. It's amazing. That actually, Alex, that is the most profound thing that you've said on this podcast, which I know the bar I've said a lot of <laughs> profound things today. Hey, everyone. Meredith here. This is, as you know, the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I don't know what to say about this episode. I think that our podcast generally is like a bag of trail mix. And some days you get... Am I the M&M? Yeah. The best part. You're the M&M. Sometimes you get the M&M. Sometimes you get the pretzel. Sometimes you get the little sesame stick. Okay, we're talking totally different trail mixes here. Rye chips? I'm thinking like classic peanut, raisin, M&M, Oh, yeah, That's not even the good kind of trail mix. Anyways, this episode, it's the pretzel. You're always like, you're like, I don't know if I really need a pretzel or I want the pretzel, but you always enjoy the pretzel. We're going to talk about grifting in the fitness and nutrition space what grifting means. And then we're going to go down a bunch of rabbit holes that we didn't mean to go down. But it's a nice little episode. We enjoyed recording it. We sure did. And we hope you enjoy listening to it. We're living in a zoo living in a zoo. We have two cats and a nine and a half month old velociraptor dog. Border Collie, same thing. And it's insane. I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but it's, it's been a lot. It's a lot in certain moments. So like when we're eating dinner at the dinner table, because we eat at the dinner table every single night together. And there's like cats walking on the table around us eating and moving around. And then the dog is there. There's just, there's, they're always with us. So it feels like a lot. And it feels like it's like our day. It's just like constant feeding of animals. <laughs> like someone is at, at any point in time out of food and wants food. Because you have the wet food, then you have the kibble. Like Ivan is in the background just yelling right now because it's, 2.40 p.m. And that's, I guess, getting close to what he thinks is dinner time. He starts yelling around two because he's like, he never knows what the actual time is because he always loses his watch. Mm-hmm. So he just guesses. And he's like, I see the sun isn't directly up above us anymore. So I should start yelling. Yeah, it's time. It's time. I need to tell them. Who's your favorite animal? So Ivan is your parent's cat. That's why we we're cat sitting. We don't have another cat. We didn't get another cat. And if this experience has shown us anything it's that we definitely don't need another cat unless Ivan wants us to adopt him Uh oh we've had conversations he's thinking about it okay he has to talk to my mom about it first before he decides that's good so who's the best one though Ivy is my favorite she is the best literally just the best She's so cute and she has the best personality and she never stirs up trouble. She'll definitely pick a fight with Rue. So I got her in 
Ontario. That's where she's from. So I had to fly back with her and her little carrier. I don't know if you remember the moment when she came out of her carrier in our apartment at the time. She was so small and so white and so perfect, but also so like just immediately brave. They're always like, well, kittens will take a while to get used to new space. No, not Ivy. She was like immediately at home, wherever you put her. So we had her for like a couple of days. I didn't even know that we had decided on her name yet. And we're just like looking at her and all of a sudden she was so cute. It was like, how are you even real? I know. How are you a real thing? Like I've never been around an animal that's so cute. You just want to cry. Like, and that was (laughs) Ivy as a kitten. And still sometimes still. Yeah. She was so little. And I just got like overwhelmed with emotion that like, this is our animal. And one day she's not going to be here. She's going to live her whole life with us. Start to finish. Is it weird that I wish that I die before any one of you three family members of mine? The cat and the dog? Yeah. That's weird. Because I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But I got really emotional and was like crying. And I was like, we're going to give you a good life. And it was just like, it was outrageous. It was kind of funny because she was a kitten, but it's also knowing that like she's ours. We have her, but one day we won't. But there's also cloning. Which I think the starting price for that right now is like, what do we say? $50,000? It's a little steep. That's a little steep. We once had a conversation and it was like, if Ivy was captured and held for ransom, how much would you pay to get her back? Our numbers were high. Yeah. Too high to admit. That was a couple years ago. <laughs> like they'd be even higher now. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, please, if you're listening to that, don't come steal the cat just because we oh said. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, that's not an invitation to <laughs> steal our animal and hold her ransom. Rue would protect her. That's why we got Rue. We will find you. Just you to ever- protect Ivy, to See. be here in case somebody tries to like kidnap Ivy. Have you ever seen Taken? got a special set of skills skills that help me find people like you you've seen that movie with Liam Neeson that would be me no I don't remember any of the movies I've ever seen yeah I watch them and then the whole plot just disappears from my brain no I could watch a movie over again five times and each time I watch it it's as if I've never seen it what's your favorite movie probably best in show okay what's your favorite scene from best in show probably when they lost the bee toy I don't know there's lots of great scenes in that show what was the like what was the overall okay I remember that oh okay I remember that movie okay I lied okay I do remember something <laughs> okay I just wanted to Please. oh come on gosh just, what are you the fact checker over here movies that you don't want to be watching with me that you forget yeah mm-hmm. action movies hmm. Taken sounds like an action movie I probably didn't even watch it oh that's 100%. probably it is like when it's an action movie I'm like there is no actual plot so there's nothing to even remember it's just a bunch of completely unrealistic shooting and cars and there's probably a kiss sprinkled in there which is really the only reason I watch any movie is for the the small nugget of romance okay noted so yes I did just describe an action movie perfectly you're welcome Uh, yeah for sure so you don't want to see the new John Wick no Sisu when that comes out Sisu what is that S-I-S-U it's like the Finnish word for grit it's this movie that's coming out about... Is it a documentary about grit and athletes? Finn, who... 
goes up against the Nazis and he has a dog sidekick. No, it's not a documentary. Is it a true story? I don't think so. No, thanks. Okay. All right. Well, I guess moving right along from that introduction, today we're talking about grifting, which I'll be really honest. I just learned what that word meant a couple of years ago. It got started getting used in like the political space. And I was like, grifting, grifting. Do you know what grifting means? I do now, but I learned it only about a month ago. You and our podcast person, you were like, let's do an episode on grifting. And so I had to be the dummy in the room being like, what's that? What's well, grifting? <laughs> but like, honestly, they were like, fair question. <laughs> oh, Alex. You're just there because you have a really sultry voice. You don't need to know what grifting is. I don't think either one of our voices tops Marissa's voice on a podcast. Right. I was listening to that, the, the last, the one that came out yesterday and was like, holy moly, you have a voice. It reminded me of the armchair expert episode with Kate Beckinsale, where I was like immediately insecure that I have a podcast and I speak the end. At least we're not as bad as, and I like her, Mel Robbins. She doesn't have a voice for podcasting, but her information is so good, it doesn't matter. And that's what I like. It's like, just do your thing. Yeah. I've noticed that my voice changes depending on whether I'm trying to project or not. So when I'm just like, I'm just talking at like kind of a quiet level, it's kind of deep like this. But then if I'm really trying to project, which I'll spare you, I don't want to like yell into the mic. It gets a little bit brassy. I just did it. That. So anyways, I'll just talk quieter. So it's more Kate Beckinsale and Marissa and less Meredith yelling at the camera for Instagram. Anyways, grifting as defined by the ultimate resource on the internet, urbandictionary.com, is slang, grift, noun, money made dishonestly as in a swindle, verb, to engage in swindling. I've heard of swindle. Yeah, someone can be described as a... Tinder Swinder? Yeah, the guy that was like catfishing. And, yeah. No, he wasn't catfishing. Tinder Swinder. Scheming people. Tinder Swindler. I'll say that I did have a different definition of grifting. Okay. It was when you slowly just grift towards something that doesn't really work. But I didn't realize that there was an intent behind it. Okay, so you just learned. Something. I did. I'm glad. Learn something new every day. I've heard it, I guess, used in politics to describe some political behavior where politicians will use sort of whatever the hot thing is in the media to raise money. So like people get all like on Donald Trump and his whole crew for doing that. They just grift from like one thing to the other, inflame the narrative and then get people to give them money. So that's kind of how it's used. Donald Trump would never do such a thing. I know. Can't even believe he was arrested. (laughs) That was sarcasm. (laughs) So grifting is definitely a thing. If you're a Republican, you can still stay and listen. That's we're our last political joke kick, of the episode. So it's common. And I think like when like we've posted on our Instagram about like charlatans in the space and how to pick them out. And a charlatan will sort of create fear by telling a story. They say, but don't worry, I have the solution to that problem that they just created for you. And then they sell you that solution. And it's the only solution that'll work. And they speak in definites and absolutes and uh, are quite inflammatory. So charlatans grift, for sure. If you're from Charlotte, we're not talking to you. Not charlatans, charlatans. Yeah. So So don't get those two things confused. No offense to Charlotte. So it's like, it's really common in 
the fitness and nutrition space. And I think there's like a pretty good, number one, people are always looking for a quick solution. I think that's like fundamentally why it probably happens in fitness and nutrition because there's like a market for it. That's like, it sets the stage. And then there's people who are just willing to profit by selling solutions to individuals who want quick results, quick fixes or whatever it is. It's very common. And then like, I think it gets a little more complicated because there's actually some semi-legitimate science that can back some of this stuff up. And so people just like, especially with Instagram, I think it's gotten really popular with Instagram being such a large platform because people can just sound like they really know what they're talking about. And they can even point to like literature or research and say, this is what backs this up. And that's, I think, common and sort of what sets some of these things off. So science definitely plays a role, but usually it's like, I would say pretty niche science to begin with and then like cherry picked. Yeah, I'm thinking what comes to mind is the game changers where they were citing sources, but when you actually plugged in what those studies were, they were misinterpreting what the studies were saying. They were cherry picking out one line. Or straight up really falsifying. Like it wasn't what the study said at all. They were just pulling out bullshit from it. That was kind of our claim to fame there for a little while was the blog that we put up on basically what I did after people were like, you have to watch this, you have to watch this, was we watched the Game Changers documentary, which if you don't know what it is, it's a documentary about vegan diets and elite athletes and how it just improved performance. And they do this under the guise of science and they involve what appear to be medical professionals, doctors and things like that. But when you actually look at, number one, you look at who is funding the film. I don't remember the name of the company, but they were basically also the parent company of a vegan protein supplement. So that's who funded the film. And then all of the doctors that they had on as subject matter experts, they sold some product. So usually books or programs that promoted plant-based or vegan eating. It was anything but an unbiased film. They wanted it to be convincing. They wanted people to be afraid so that then they would go buy the protein or buy the book. Yeah. But anyways, I will say if you haven't seen the movie... I don't want to recommend the movie because it's obviously like what we said, not a great representation, but to support what we're saying today, watch the movie and then read the blog. On our, which is and on our will, website. Yeah, yeah. And it will be, you'll be like, okay, the blog is basically like you took, how long did that take you to pull out each and every study that popped up on that TV screen? Right. So first of all, we watched it straight through. So like and the an whole time and- I was thinking like, this is garbage because <laughs> I'm not like, a scientist, but I went to university and studied some science courses in psychology. Yeah. And I was like, these aren't. But at the same time, you're like, but I'm, this is also very convincing the way it that they really are was. portraying this information. Was I mad? But did I also want to maybe try the vegan diet? Yes. Yeah. So we watched it the first time through. It's like probably an hour and 40 minutes. I was like, yeah, we have to watch this again. And during the film, they would have little footnotes that popped up where they're referencing research. And I noticed that the first time that we watched it. And I was like, I wonder what those are. So watched it again. And every time they would cite a research study, I would pause it and I would look it up. So basically while I was doing that, I was creating a document that was basically what they were talking about in the claim that they were making. And then the research that they were using to support it. So at the end, 
basically I went through all of the research that was referenced and found basically none of it to be accurately depicted in the film or at least considered with the proper amount of context. Like some of the the research was as simple as eating berries, eating foods that are high in antioxidants improves cardiovascular outcomes or like decreases risk of CVD, stuff like that. The way that they were communicating it was nothing at all. What like the research studies basically is like your diet should include these foods, but it does not say they your diet should include these foods and not animal products. Like that's not what the research was yeah, saying. Yeah, it's like and you can have a steak and also eat berries and reap the benefits of yeah. those berries. Right. So that's not how they were presenting it at all. So that was like, that was an epic grift on the part of those filmmakers. You know what the most shocking part of that film was? I mean, the whole thing was shocking. But do you remember the part where they stooped so low as to measure at night the athlete's boners? Yeah. And then use that as like, basically like, wow, when you eat a vegan or plant-based diet, you have extreme boners. And I was like, what are you serious right now? Holy crap. That was my favorite part of the movie. You love hearing about boners. It's my favorite thing. But even like, okay, so even as recently, I would say one of the more major grifts in the, the nutrition space this past year was the whole, like the liver thing. We're eating raw organ meat. Was that due to liver king or was it due to just a general grift? Was it like... Does a grift always start with one person or is it like, like no. Liver King was kind of like yeah. the beginning? I think or was he the beginning think, or was he, did he just jump on the bandwagon? That's and, a really good question. He, if there was a bandwagon that he jumped on, it wasn't as big as what he turned it into. Yeah. But essentially, yeah, like Liver King came onto the space maybe like a year and a half or two years ago out of nowhere. By the way, his name is Brian Johnson, if you don't know. I used to date someone who ate liver. And mm-hmm. that was a long time ago because it was a man. He, he was, the, was original. the original liver king. Wow. You dated the original liver I king. I did. Amazing. You should be getting royalties. Yeah. I'm just here for color today. <laughs> yeah. So he's like very extreme with it. And it's like a circus. There's like the liver king ranch. But anyways, you saw him come into the space and he's like eating raw liver. He's eating raw testicles. He's eating raw everything, raw bone marrow. His kids are eating that way, like his wife's eating that way. And then all of a sudden, you kind of start to see other people in the space who weren't at all into raw meats and eating raw foods sort of start to like do it. Like people who've been in the space a much longer time than the Liver King. Like you saw Marcus Philly do it. He jumped on that train. I want to say like Froning jumped on it too. Did he? I think there was something. But anyways, it's all Ryan based Fisher on... Fisher was eating raw. He ate raw beef once. That's the one I'm thinking and of. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. But it's a lot of it isn't to sell something necessarily. I think sometimes it's just to be like, I want to create something that's entertaining to get more followers. It's called clout. It's not even like promoting anything. It's just promoting yourself by doing something that yeah. people think is cool or like is entertaining. Well, that's exactly it. And I think that's probably why Ryan did it and probably yeah. why Marcus Philly did it. It just, it gets attention because it's like the hot thing in the space. Yeah, I mean, from like a liver king standpoint, going back to that guy, he is eating all this stuff and you're like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Like it looks nasty when he eats it. And then conveniently enough, he also has a supplement company. He's like, you know what? If you don't want to eat raw meat, that's okay. Because I saw these capsules that do the same thing as eating raw meat, except you don't have to eat them. So that was like, there's actually something to be sold there. And these other guys are just doing it because it's what gets attention. And ultimately, he's probably good for their business because you want people on your 
page on your site. But like liver is great. Liver is a great food to eat. Yeah. It's like super high in vitamin A, vitamin K, which also you can overdose on those vitamins. You can have too much of those. Vitamin B, like it's a great food to include in your diet. You don't need to eat it raw. You don't need to eat everything else raw too. And like, it doesn't need to be like a whole thing. No. I think what that's What did the, liver ever do to anyone? Why does it deserve to be eaten raw? When is there going to be a berry queen? Okay, you want to hear a fun... That's what I want to know. A berry, A berry like queen. Yeah. Because those are full of antioxidants. Okay, so I have to admit something. I make a lot of Instagram accounts just in case I want to use them. And I did for a period of time. One of them was at Carbohydrate Queen. And I should have kept that account. I didn't. That would have been a really funny one. But anyways, do you want to hear a fun fact that I just remembered? So in the kind of peak liver king time, I was still writing for Morning Chalk Up. And I wrote this piece. I did a bunch of research because I was like, raw, like, why are people doing this? And like, what is the rationale for eating raw meat? And a lot of the rationale or, or what, what people promote or what they say is that when you cook meat, it loses its nutritional value, degrades the protein, it, it degrades vitamins and minerals. It's not as nutritious when it's cooked as when it's raw. And there may be some truth to that. When you cook proteins, you do break them down. You do degrade a little bit. But I started reading this research and it, it began from an article I think I found in Scientific American. So then I just went down and I'll like read the research that they had referenced. And so essentially, a lot of what makes humans so superior as a species, like we have big brains, we operate in social communities. We are generally of higher intelligence than other animals, including other primates. So like what makes the difference? So essentially what they've found and the reason why we kept evolving and other like great apes didn't is that we learned to cook our food. That's the reason. Because when you cook food, you spend less time chewing it, having to digest it. I mean, sometimes you, spend, you eat dinners and you don't chew any of it. I know. I'm you like just a, swallow. Like a snake. But it's cooked, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and you save so much time because you'll sit down for a meal and you'll be done in three minutes. I know. And, and then you can go it. back to work. I know. I know. It's like so efficient. That's it because, yeah, you expend a lot of energy chewing raw food. You don't digest it completely. Also, the act of cooking. So like sitting around a fire cooking food was a social activity. So it strengthened social bonds. It like increased... when we cook together dinners every night. Right. Yeah. When we cook. And it freed up time for other activities. So other learning. This is a sidebar. I'm so sorry. I'm getting off topic. I think it's interesting. It yeah. is interesting. Like, why don't we eat raw meat? Because I do know people. The next topic of conversation is, is it bad to eat ground beef raw? Because my mom will tell you. Well, I never think, do that. But mm -hmm. I had a roommate from Slovakia. She yeah. ate raw bacon. And then I had yeah. a friend from Texas and she ate raw ground beef as she was cooking it for tacos. Yeah. My grandma used to eat raw. So let's talk about that next. Okay. Yeah. When we're talking about food processing, cooking is part of food processing. So there's primary food processing, secondary food processing, and tertiary food processing. So most of what we eat, and if you eat a balanced diet, you probably eat up to secondary food processing. Tertiary food processing is really, it's creating like hyper palatable convenience foods. So, so would like picking potatoes be secondary or are we going one step further? We're going further. So like a potato, a whole potato is unprocessed. Processed. Yeah. If you cook it, that's 
primary food processing, if you were to like grind it up into pit, like potato meal and use that for baked goods or something, that's secondary. So picking a potato would be like pre-processing. Yeah. Wheat, for example. If you pick a wheat berry and you eat it, not processed. So that's zero steps. Primary would be maybe like de-hulling it. Secondary would be grinding it and making it into a flour. That kind I of do that all the time mm-hmm. when I bake you things. Yeah. But imagine... It's nice um, to know what I'm doing. Nice to put a descriptor to the action. For, <laughs> for sure. So food processing came about for thousands of years. We really only had the ability to do primary food processing. So really just cooking food, very basic secondary grinding with stones and things like that. That's what we did. Really our food processing came along as part of the industrial revolution. Agricultural revolution preceded the industrial revolution. So we got really good at growing food. So the way that you conceptualize this is the amount of energy the average person had to spend to meet their calorie needs each day went down with the agriculture revolution. Because now we're growing food in mass amounts. Not everyone has to go out and hunt and gather and pick and hunt and all that stuff. So we're growing food. So the amount of work that we have to do to meet our caloric needs goes down just with being able to grow it. Then comes the industrial revolution. So now not only can we grow food in large quantities, we can also begin to process it in large quantities. So the amount of energy to meet our caloric needs every single day goes down even more. And so when we say like, your caloric needs, what are, we, what are you actually talking about? Like, what is a calorie? It's a unit of energy, correlates to watts. It's a measure of the amount of work that you have to do. If we're having to work less to, to get our food, meaning like we can kind of just live our lives. And as long as you, you know, are not living in poverty, you're going to meet your energy needs. You don't have to go out and pick your food. I don't have to go hunt anything. We just go to the store once or twice a week. Done. So less work means less time, which means there's more time for... Literally fill in the blank. Watching Netflix and stuff. That was huge back then. (laughs) You think it's big now? It was big back then. Yeah, for sure. Like, thank goodness for McDonald's, because otherwise there wouldn't be Netflix. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're so profound. But the... People are going to be like, she is so dumb. (laughs) She's so not dumb, but she acts so dumb. Less time working for our calories means more time for... Learning. It means more time for scientific understanding. Only for men, though. Right. Women have only gained the right to do that in like the last 15 years or so. They had more time for cleaning and stuff back then. So more time for science, more time for creativity. Again, Um, only men for that. Yeah, always. Men first. So basically every, if you think about, you know, the things that you enjoy in life, you think about the opportunities that you have with your career, even like being able to use the internet for like as ridiculous as that example is, that is only because we learned how to process foods. That's it. That's the whole reason. If we couldn't do that, then everyone would be spending so much time procuring calories that there's no time for it. So like the ultimate irony to me is the number of people who are so obsessed with whole, unprocessed, high quality foods. And they say, this is the key to longevity. They refuse to eat anything processed. They shit on people who do eat processed foods. And they don't realize that the actual luxury that they have to make those decisions to eat whole unprocessed foods from people from farms who farm it in a specific way, the only reason they have that luxury now is because of food processing. Yeah, and because they have money to shop at farmer's markets or because they don't have to work two jobs. Yeah. Like some people, like that's a legitimate thing. Oh, 100%. You can afford to go to Whole Foods and buy that food. You can afford to do that because you have a job 
that only exists because we have had enough time and energy as a society to create that field for you to work in. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be working in a literal field, getting your whole unprocessed food yourself. Ultimate irony. Ultimate irony. But try to explain that to someone who makes those decisions and wants to get on their high horse. Like the obsession with food quality in the nutrition space is a grift. But the thing about high horses is there's a greater likelihood that they're going to roll an ankle at some point. (laughs) So just let them be. Let them be. And you'll see them off in the distance, on the horizon, riding off. And then the horse will trip and they'll go down because it's too high off the ground. So the food quality thing, there's so many examples of this particular grift in the nutrition, like online, like seed oils. That's a recent, I would say a recent food quality grift. Zone two cardio? We'll get to zone two cardio. Okay. Yeah. The seed oils, seed oils being what canola, sunflower oil, mixed vegetable oils, corn oil, that kind of thing. People, there's this whole school of thought, like, oh, these like high concentrations of omega-6 fatty acids increases inflammatory pathways in the body. And people are like, it shouldn't be consumed by humans, da-da-da-da-da. And actually, like, there's no research that actually shows that that's the case in regular consumption. In fact, what the research shows on seed oils is that if you replace saturated fat in the diet with unsaturated fats, but specifically monounsaturated fats, which seed oils, hello, there you go, you lower the risk of CVD. You lower the heart disease risk. You lower the risk of poor health outcomes, specifically when you replace saturated fat in the diet with seed oils or seeds or nuts or whatever. But seed oils work also. But that's a grift. The seed oil is a grift. And it's interesting because the food quality, which seed oil is part of that, but so is produce quality, meat quality. It all kind of stems from this. I've seen it described as like food elitism, which I certainly believe is a thing. And the whole idea there is that for like hundreds of years, like people look for a way to install social hierarchies. And so the spice trade way back when spice trading was a thing. At one point, like that was a a sign of wealth and of prosperity was the fact that like if you could afford to have spices to put on your food to make them even just salt, but spices from the Middle East, from India, cumin, things like that. And then when spices became widely available, the sort of elites decided we don't want spices, we don't process foods, we want foods to be consumed in their purest and most whole form. And again, that's just to create this sort of social hierarchy. What's harder to get? Like spices are easy to get. Okay, well, we want to like, we're going to prioritize eating foods that are hard to get now. And we're going to like, basically, there are people who just, they can't afford to go to Whole Foods and buy uber high quality meats and organic vegetables. They can't afford to do it. So people, whether they realize that they're part of this system or not, perpetuate this social hierarchy with the foods that they prioritize in their diet and the way that they eat, especially when they project morality onto those decisions. Yeah. I was going to say there's nothing wrong with prioritizing whole foods. No. You should if you can. But yeah, getting up on your high horse or projecting that it's wrong that not everyone's doing what you're doing is not cool. Exactly. Ignores the nutrition benefit that processed foods do have and do provide to millions and millions of people in the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the food quality thing is a pet peeve, but is also a grift. (sighs) I didn't answer your raw meat question. Yeah. So my question is, can you eat? Because you know me. 
at least in Canada, I think, or where I grew up in Canada, like steaks, when you order them at a restaurant, the waiter will say, do you, how do you want that steak cooked? And I'll say medium well or well done when I was a kid. And I say rare, please. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the first time I ordered a burger in the U.S. when I was a teenager, they asked me that question. Yeah. And I, I remember being a bit taken aback because I was like, I thought that ground beef was supposed to always be cooked through because mm -hmm. there's more likely to bacteria because of the like increase in surface area. But then I learned that if you grind it, if the restaurant has a grinder in-house, then it's okay. That's the law in most states in the U.S. It might be actually a, a countrywide law. So you that, have to grind your own. That makes sense. But what about just eating it raw out of the grocery packaged meat? Huge risk. And here's the deal, right? Like you eat bacteria. You eat every single day. You probably consume bacteria that is on something, like some food item. But it's fine because... Number one, immune system. Number two, the human stomach is a very inhospitable environment for most bacteria. But like there are some that cause issues. E. coli is a big one. Salmonella, obviously, that one comes up in the news. I mean, that's the problem with raw meat is there's a huge pathogen risk to it. So I remember seeing that video that Ryan Fisher put up eating raw ground beef. And he literally just opens a package that he bought from Whole he Foods. He bought from Whole Foods. <laughs> grass-fed. Yeah, most of the grass-fed meat by the way, grass-fed beef, 85% of it that you buy in the United States comes from South America or Australia. Fun fact, it's not from the U.S., which makes it even nastier because... Travel and yeah. all that. I mean, talk about just like viruses and bacteria, the plane ride over there. Yeah. And if the meat is traveling all that way yeah. with all those people, well, so, yeah, and I mean, then so COVID, by the time the, they get to the homeland, it's like, what have they picked up along the way? Everything. The grass-fed is now just trumped. So huge risk to consuming raw meat. And even when you order, so if you order beef carpaccio in a restaurant. Never would do that. You have done it. We have had that. I have not ordered it. You have. I've had a slice and it's extremely salty. Yeah. The way that they deal with that most of the time, number one, it's frozen until it's made, usually frozen. And then they also, so like, let's just say you have a filet. That's what they're cutting the beef carpaccio from. They shave off all of the sides. They shave off maybe, I don't know, five millimeters or so of meat. So anything that was exposed to the air, gone. They slice it up and serve it. So that like surface bacteria risk is managed, mitigated. So are you that saying they... that if you shave off all the outer areas of ground beef patty? Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to do it, that is like if I were to get a package of raw ground beef out, one of those squares. Number one, you could sear it off, just cook the outside or just shave the outside off. And that would immediately reduce the risk significantly. So you could do like a seared raw ground beef. You could do that. Yes. Salad. That. Can I get a seared raw ground beef salad? You order that next time we go out to eat, see what they do. Next question. Well, hang on. I'm not done yet. So a lot of people will, will point out that Animals in the wild, carnivores, they eat raw meat and they don't get sick. Number one, it's an assumption that that animal is not sick. They probably have a huge pathogen load at any time. And then there's a, also a huge difference in killing something and eating it immediately and killing something and eating it weeks later. Massive difference in that. And also their their gut situation is different yeah. than ours. The next question I have is, you know, when you buy raw ground beef, 
and it kind of gets discolored and it turns like brown. Is that from the air? It is, yeah, oxidation and then a phenomenon called That's what I meant, oxidation, obviously. Mayard Browning. It was a test you passed. Mayard Browning, the other reaction that's happening. Okay, next question. Do expiry dates matter? Yeah, they're conservative. So I think depending on the food item, if you were milk, if it hasn't been opened and it's past expiration, it's probably okay. Same thing with a cottage cheese or yogurt. If it's not been opened, it's probably okay for a little bit longer. Meats have a huge range on them. But again, fairly conservative. But I tend to pay more attention to meat expiration than anything else. Just because it's like... It's meat. It's meat. (laughs) Okay. I have one final question. These are legitimate questions from me that I don't know the answers to. Okay. I don't think my clients have actually asked any of these to me, but now I'm prepared for when that happens. Sometimes I have meat in the freezer and I take it out to thaw and cook. But then plans change. So a couple of days later, the chicken's thawed. It's in the fridge. And I'm like, I don't want that chicken. Can you put it back in the freezer? I mean, you what, don't know the answer. Uh, you can. <laughs> and then bring it out a month later. Is it okay? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love that you think that I know the answer <laughs> to that. I don't know the answer to that. I'm assuming it's probably fine. There's nothing bad that would happen in like a freeze-thaw cycle that would make it not okay. I can't imagine double freezing with a freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw yeah. with possibly another freeze thaw even before the freeze thaw from me because in transportation yeah Yeah. so we're talking three freezes and three thaws yeah that has to impact the quality of taste and texture I mean I'm just thinking back to my previous career as an engineer in cell culture development and we would have like media components that would be frozen and there was a freeze thaw limit on those you could only do it so many times before you couldn't use it So I'm going to say there is definitely a limit to it. I just don't know what that limit is. These are helpful questions, I think. So now can we talk about zone two? Yes. So what is it and why are people grifting towards it? Well, actually, like I don't necessarily think that zone two is like a grift specifically with like a thing that people are doing, but it's a language. It's like a linguistic drift. And again, I think it's to drum up attention and excitement around walking around easy exercise low intensity cardio well here's the thing so we both we follow steve magnus and you're a runner i come from an endurance background like forever the recommendation has been 80 percent of your training should be easy 20 percent should be hard and that's true that's how you build up cardiovascular fitness but i think with the emergence of and popularity of heart rate monitors and the way that these heart rate monitoring devices kind of like striate heart rate zones. Now we can name that zone two. And so it's being kind of put forth as a way to improve mitochondrial health, a way to improve VO2 max and cardiovascular fitness and something that everyone should be doing in their training. And so you see all of these PTs and nutrition people and athletes and people in the space, just like zone two, zone two, zone two, did a zone two session today, you know, zone two, 60 minute run, zone two row, like just zone two everything. And it's like, it's like everyone learned that word and now they're using it. It's kind of silly because all things fitness, it's something that's like above all else. But for most people, the issue isn't finding the best exercise. No. It's literally just moving your body. People aren't doing that. 
And they get so concerned with like the heart rate zone that they're in. They forget the workout that they're trying to do. Like, I think this is the case for you too. My easy runs are never in my quote unquote zone two range. I'm always above it. To be honest, to be completely honest, I have never ever in my legit 31 years of athletics starting when I was two ever did heart rate. No. Still, I wear a heart rate monitor just to see it go up. (laughs) I don't even know why I wear a heart rate monitor. I guess when I run at a specific pace now, it's lower than when I ran at that pace two years ago. Here's what I think heart rate monitoring is good for. So say you're doing an an easy run, which I think your easy runs tend to be around the like 150 beats per minute. That's like normal, which that's higher than your zone two. That's above zone two for you. So what you're looking for with heart rate is if you're running a consistent pace on like a relatively flat course, you're looking for your heart rate to increase to, let's just call it 150 beats per minute, flat line, and then not increase anymore. That means like that is what a sustainable and easy pace should look like on a heart rate monitor. The specific heart rate, what it is, not really that relevant. Because if you're exceeding your easy pace, it's just going to continue going up and up and up and up and up because you're not able to effectively supply oxygen. And that's why heart rate increases. If you're running too fast, it's just going to continue slowly going up. It may not continue to go up. Other fatigue will set in. Or so that. your pace will drop as a result of your legs being tired. Yeah. You I'm, see that like with rowing, you see that with CrossFit. All yeah. This things. is if you're holding the pace steady. Yeah. So you have to hold something constant. Yeah. Let's say you're like, yeah, you're holding. Or like you said, you'll see other indicators of fatigue. You know, Garmin also tracks vertical oscillation, side to side balance. It tracks all these running metrics and you'll start to see those go off too. But anyways, steady pace, easy run, flat line on heart rate, doesn't matter what it is. And the interesting thing is people, they focus so, so much on the specific, oh, what's the best type of exercise? And I'm like, but you don't, like you exercise twice a week. So why don't you just do something you like? You know what would be better? Doing it more. Doing whatever you do double that amount of time. Greg Glassman said, like, he's got this quote, be impressed with intensity, not volume. I completely disagree with that because like intensity implies that something's just perceptive, like it's objectively hard. Like, oh, that was so hard. Objectively or subjectively? Subjectively. Yeah. I mean, objectively, if you're working on like, yeah, subjectively, it was perceived as difficult. Yes. But I think that like volume, like if you're if we're concerning ourselves with consistency and repetition of efforts and building the routine like some volume of work is implied it has to be and that's how you build a, an enormous base and like the ironic thing about that quote now i'm pretty sure that greg said that probably somewhere around the year 2010 is crossfit athletes train an enormous amount of volume to be able to do what they do competitively maybe that applied to crossfit athletes and 2009, where you could go in and do Helen and that could be the end of the day for you. But that's not the case anymore. I'm just thinking of an example. Let's take speed skaters. Some of their events are minutes long, like a 400 meter, 1000 meter. They train in the summer by doing hour long bike rides. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple hours. hours. So Nils Vanderpool, the sweet, he's a Swedish speed skater and he competed in the last Winter Olympics, whatever that year was. It was a weird COVID year. After he competed and he won, he's a gold medalist. He released his like training and nutrition for his Olympic prep period. And he's literally exercising. And this isn't like CrossFitter saying, oh, I train six hours a day, but half of the time is like sitting around rolling on a foam roller. He exercises for seven hours a day. 
seven hours a day, that dude is exercising and obviously consuming a massive amount of food. And his wattage, like his output on ergs and on the like on a watt bike is just it's it's mind blowing what he can sustain. And he's talking about the amount of food that's required to sustain that level of training. And by the end of it, like he was eating so many carbs that he was having dental problems. Yeah. So I think that the takeaway from just this like grift towards zone two or calling things zone two or assigning just like a name to just something that you're doing for exercise, it dumbs down like what fitness can be at the elite level and then specializes it for people who are at the non-elite level. It both dumbs it down and also makes it incredibly confusing. Yeah. It's just like even hit. Remember hit? I feel like people grifted towards hit. They did. And it probably aligns with like kind of CrossFit too. It's like, yeah, the intensity. It's like you don't have to do that much exercise. You just go really hard and it's better. And it's like, okay, better for what? Yeah, exactly. Well, better for health, for weight loss, for muscle. Based on what? Yeah. Based on what's popular? Yeah, it's really fun. You do it for 30 minutes and you get to do it with all of your friends in a class. Yeah. And you buy nice clothes for it because that's what half of it is, is showing up in your new Lululemon. But that's beside the point. Yeah. And there's just, there's not, and by the way, if you're actually doing proper interval training, like proper hit, you can't do that more than like once or twice a week. You just can't. You're just exercising with rest. That's the thing (laughs) is like, like you used to see these guys in class, like the guys who come in and they're like really fit and they're doing high intensity CrossFit workouts every single day. So like, let's say they do race. The next day's Helen. Like they're not all girl wads, but they're all kind of like in the three to like eight three, minute mark. Yeah. Three to 10 minutes, three to eight minutes. And like, you're just going to failure Yeah, with like a lightweight movement or, you know, you get Fran long. Like those people aren't getting fitter. No, they're so dampered. That's not good. So I guess the alternative is just zone two. Yeah. But where's the middle? Like, yeah, you do zone two to be, become a better runner, but like you also have to do other stuff. Yeah, you should be doing strength. You should be doing like high intensity running if you're running. Like fitness is more than just cardio. There's, I don't know, probably 10 to 12 components of fitness and you want to be addressing all of those if you're looking to, you know, make progress. And even if all you want to do is live a vital life, like you don't want to be neglecting strength training because someone told you that zone two cardio is so important. It just, it confuses people and you can tell people are confused by the questions they ask. Like for example, a couple of days ago, I did a video on the like ketogenic diet for endurance performance. And I referenced the two like Louise Burke studies on speed walkers where they compared keto to two carb groups and the ketogenic group, while they didn't perform better, they saw a greater increase in VO2 max, which is really interesting. It's like actually fascinating to see that. And it makes sense because of the amount of oxygen that's required to like create energy with fat. But someone came on and asked, well, you know, Andrew Huberman and David Sinclair and all of these guys are talking about, and Peter Atia are talking about how important VO2 max is for longevity. So given that information and also seeing the increase in VO2 max, wouldn't like, despite poorer performance, wouldn't the ketogenic group be quote unquote healthier? Are you serious right now? Like that is how confused people are when we start overemphasizing things like zone two cardio and hit because people literally will take that verbatim and run with it. And that's like the VO2 max, that data is accurate. Like what Peter Adia was talking about on his latest podcast, accurate. But that doesn't mean that that needs to be the only measure of health that you chase because what's also accurate is resistance training in 
aging individual improves health outcomes. It reduces the risk of fall-related injuries. That's only one thing. Like I said, yeah. Simplifies and confuses at the same, at the time. same time. It's amazing. That actually, Alex, that is the most profound thing that you've said on this podcast, which I know the and bar is I've low. said a lot of <laughs> profound things today. I think that's the real, and maybe this is how we <laughs> wrap it up. Like that's the issue with the areas that become popular with grifters is that it reduces a complex concept. It makes it simple while also introducing so much confusion into the space. It's actually hard to action reductionism to put that in your life. Yeah. So my question is, have we ever grifted? You know, I was thinking about that before we decided to record this podcast. And I think the closest thing that we came to a grift would be the pink salt as part of our morning margarita. But number one, that's easy to defend. Yeah, we never were really like over the top with it on the internet. We weren't using it to like get a lot of attention. It's a grifty thing. It's a people make it out to be this thing that it isn't for us. It okay. Was- so the first time I'm thinking back to when you, that was early on. And I remember one of my old nutrition coaches told me to do it. And that was when I was working out in the summer and it was like a way to just legitimately get more salt in. Yeah. And then when we started using it, it was like with the lemon water and people would be like, but why? And I was like, one sec. So I like go and look for research and I'm like, I don't know. Just do it. There's none. Yeah. It's just kind of like there's some stuff that says that this and then the lemon water is digestion, but it's like it's not really super solid, but it helps build a habit and it helps increase water intake. Yeah, it was always about the routine. So I think maybe a couple of years later, we were like, you can do the morning margarita or you can just have water. (laughs) I like the morning margarita. And I think especially in the summertime, it's good to have that salt. Yeah. And I like pink salt or gray salt or any kind of... I can only do pink once I did like table and I was like, absolutely not. Okay, well, that's what I was about to say. It's not so much about like pink salt. It's about pink salt versus iodized salt because like iodine has a taste. Yeah. And it's not good. But then to kind of use that as an example of making something kind of confusing is then you get into the questions of like, okay, but how does this play a role in keeping sodium intake down? A lot of us are told like, you don't want to be, and of course there's like a range that we're aiming for and it probably does contribute depending on who you're talking to. That's something that needs to be looked at, but it's like, okay, this pink salt's really good for you, but also be careful with your sodium. (laughs) I don't know. I don't feel as bad about that with that LMNT thing being in the space now. Like people are pounding sodium because there's a like drink. Have you ever like, have you ever had that? I've never had it. Holy crap. It is just, I mean, it's fine. It tastes like straight salt. Really? Yeah. I see it on people's logs sometimes or people ask me about it. I'm like, yeah, you can, I mean, you can have one. I would not recommend having more than one per day unless you are really sweaty. And it's like, you know, their whole thing with marketing is that the science behind sodium is wrong and it's been vilified. And like, I do agree that there's more nuance to sodium intake probably than people realize, but also there's a real risk in over-consuming sodium. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that there's no like blanket recommendation. It's hard to kind of find the right number. Even for me, I'm like, that's something I'm tinkering with. Sounds like I need some LMNT for my marathon. Maybe, but yeah, it's not a super well-balanced but I'm like, what's the worst thing that happens for a normal person if they underconsume sodium and they work out? They get cramps. What's the worst thing that happens if you overconsume sodium? Generally, you have heart problems. Like, it's a weird thing to be promoting widely, I think, anyways. So I always advise some caution with sodium. 
Yeah, I think the best approach for sodium is to start small and add yeah. and see what makes you feel good and measure. And if you're an athlete and you're like, I would really, I'm actually concerned about it, go get a sweat test done. It's mm-hmm. really easy. And then you kind of know exactly what your sodium loss per hour is going to look like, assuming you're well hydrated. But I don't know. We're not a grifty group. We don't grift. It probably would benefit us to grift sometimes. The closest thing we come to grifting is like throwing shade at people who are grifting. Yeah, that was what I was going to say is I wouldn't say we're anti-grifters. I would say that we're not grifters, but we're not necessarily as bad as using grifting to just like create material. No. Like I like to stand on our own and create our own messaging rather than just like using someone else's messaging and being like, that's stupid. Prime example would be the latest Gwyneth Paltrow. When I wake up, I have one cup of coffee and then I fast. And then around lunchtime, I have soup, but usually just bone broth. We made a video on that. It was just like me standing in the elevator area of the Ace Hotel talking about it. But how many videos did you have sent to you or to Tactic? It's someone who has created a video with Gwyneth's video as the backdrop and they've like green screened their stupid face on top. I'm like, yeah, that's just like, (laughs) go ahead, go ahead. That's just not what we do. I like to create our own messaging. Yeah. And so while like we're not liver king like haters, we're not going to just go shitting all over him all the time. I mean, like he's hard not to mention in a podcast or in the odd post because it's just like it's easy to use somebody like that as an example of like what we're working against. But there's, yeah, there's like grifters and then there's opportunists who follow the grifters around and point out all the ways that they're wrong, which like noble calls. I, I do follow some of those accounts. I mean, some of them are quite entertaining. Yeah. It's just not what we do with our account. And that, that in a way is grifting towards like, you're giving airtime to something that's so ridiculous by debunking it. Like you can also just be better than having to debunk that stuff which I think is kind of the path that we'll take unless it's something that just seems so outrageous that you're like, hey, this, this has to be mentioned. So we can use it as like a launching off point for our own messaging, which mm-hmm. I think was like the Gwyneth thing. That's getting really nitty about how we use our account, but won't see a whole lot of that from us. I don't know. I thought this podcast was very random. I'm going to be super honest. <laughs> yeah, it went down many paths, was very colorful. Thank you, Alex, <laughs> for that. I threw some blue. I threw some red. Through some yellow, some green, You're like some the, green in there. The Jackson Pollock of podcast color. You're like Jackson Pollock. He's the splatter paint guy. Gotcha. Yeah. He's an abstract artist. Thank you so much for listening and hanging in there on this one. We hope you enjoyed it. There's a lot of tidbits to be taken. This may you. have been the first podcast in several where you didn't implant a tampon space joke. I know. You had <laughs> I thought you were gonna keep that going. People appreciate that. <laughs> I, and I appreciate a joke that just goes and goes and goes. And it just, it's like the Easter egg. You're just plant, keeps, yeah, planting little seeds along the way. I don't know. Breadcrumbs. I think that that takes a, a level of intellect. Yeah, you're so smart and so funny and witty. That's not what I meant. Oh. But thank you. You're intellectual. Yeah. Is I that what you were saying? Remember say? things. All right. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging in there. Like, subscribe, share. Yeah. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>